0: masters almost surely have a plan there's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man until we've thoroughly tested every last close chested view find the more you think you know the less you really do where would we be without THC we know the lion to us just don't know to what degree where would we be without THC
1: Hireside chat Show, Greg and Company. All right, Hireside Chatters, we've spent many a conversation at the nexus of elite belief systems, magical practice, and world events, and as time goes on, I get the ever-increasing feeling that reality is unraveling into one big ritual. And something seems to have lit a fire under the asses of the esoteric elite, because urgency seems to be the name of the game when you're living within a small window of time in which Michael Bloomberg is unveiling a restored temple of Mithras in London, NASA warns of an interstellar scout from afar and launches a balloon of bacteria during a solar eclipse, Rockefeller Plaza undergoes some new major construction complete with, quote, circular portals. Amazon launches a VR division called Sumerian, and of course human hybridization and do-it-yourself gene manipulation is being pushed as all the rage. Well, this is all just the tip of the iceberg because it's getting harder to find any major news story where you can't suss out some cryptic references to Babylon, Egypt, or the stars above, and few people know this as intimately as my personal favorite sage of synchromysticism, Chris Knowles. As you might remember, Chris and I recorded a show just a few months back that detailed his work into the Song of the Siren saga, which tells the tale of the oracle Elizabeth Frazier and the prophecies of doom laid out in her strange and rhythmic singing, from her own lover Jeff Buckley being prophetically drowned in the Wolf River, to a tapestry of terror and death that seems to have ensnared Heath Ledger, Chris Cornell, Chester Bennington, and as we'll get into today, it doesn't seem like the siren is done collecting the trophies she vowed to claim in songs channeled long ago. It's a whirlwind of connections. It leaves one wondering if someone isn't asleep at the wheel of the simulation because the weird dial has just been turned up way too high. Of course, Chris's ongoing esoteric adventure is blogged about on his website, The Secret Sun, and I can't wait to get into the latest chapters. So let's do the damn thing the great ritual revealer and one of my favorite scribes of strange stuff. Chris Knowles, how the hell are you? I'm good. Glad to be here. Always
2: glad to be here.
1: Yeah, man. I'm really glad you could be here, too. I love this overall saga. Since that last talk, I have just seen Siren and Mermaid references explode. And as you know, I've also found myself having the smallest of personal connections to what might be one of the Siren's latest prophesized victims, but we'll get into that. Of course, this is a continuation of the last show in a lot of ways, and we can't give all the required context, but what would you say to sort of reintroduce people to this wild ride?
2: Well, what we looked at before was this song, uh, Song to the Siren, that was premiered, I guess 50 years ago now, on the Monkees TV show. First premiered in the context of Aliens and MKUltra and Marijuana, of course, (laughs) Marijuana being the great liberator and sort of spiraled through history up into the early 80s and then on into the 90s. And what happened is that it was channeled, and I think that's the only word that you can actually use is channeled, by a Scottish singer with a troubled past and a very curious biography who eventually entered into a romance with the son of the man who co-wrote Song to the Siren, and embarked on a very tempestuous and passionate love affair that ended with him, as you mentioned before, driving in the Wolf River Lagoon in Memphis. That's the barest of elevator pitches there. I mean, the level of detail here is so extensive and so deep and so obsessive, really, that it really makes you begin to question what exactly are we living in, <laughs> are we living in, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about this show last night and I was thinking about talking to you and I was just lying in bed thinking, I was like, are we really in some kind of simulation? I mean, are we living in a simulation and don't realize it? And the funny thing is about that is that last night's X-Files episode was kind of based on that premise. I was really kind of thinking about that. And it's like, you know, would you know the difference <laughs> if you were living simulation and is this like some sort of signal emanating from afar that you know it's it's time to wake up to the simulation i'll give people some background because i don't think i really expressed this the last time we spoke around the time that song to the siren was released i mean i didn't hear song to the siren until a couple of years later but i heard her singing and i remember i was listening to the radio i was in my room and before the song was half over, I was calling the radio station and you know begging them to tell me who this was singing it was It really was like those kind of supernatural moments, like the sirens call, really, So I got into a couple of the records, but at the time, I was really into punk rock and hardcore and metal and and all this kind of stuff, and I was like, you yeah, know that 's not really my thing; they 're a little too arty, a little too you know hairstyle for me But then, a couple of years later, I'd sort of gone through the punk rock thing, and then you know punk rock started getting really negative, and there was a lot of like really dark energies emanating around that scene. So I sort of broke away from that and I started getting into a lot of late 60s stuff. I was listening to a lot of like Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane and stuff. And I started playing music and I met the singer from Queens and, you know, we, we were just throwing ideas around and he said, well, you know, have you heard the Cocteau Twins? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm into the Cocteau Twins. I got some of their records a couple of years ago. And he's like, all right, no, you haven't heard the Cocteau Twins. So he made me a tape and it just blew the top of my head off. I was like, this isn't music. This is like some sort of signal. This is some signal from some other dimension. It's like a harbinger. It sounds ridiculous in context today, but you have to understand this is over 30 years ago. And I was just like, what am I listening to? This isn't music. This is like something else. And if you go online, you'll see this meme where it's referred to as otherworldly, from another reality. I mean, all these kind of language and you saw a lot of this language at the time you know even though this wasn't really my thing i was like oh my god this is this is the apocalypse i mean this is like i don't know what i'm listening to so that's sort of the context that's that's sort of the background with this and everything sort of sprung from there and you know of course they went in different directions and became more poppy but so we talked about the siren business two days before las vegas and I'll tell you another story is that while that was going on, I was on the radio on a Las Vegas station at the time. I was talking to uh, Richard Hoagland. His show was based at that time out of Las Vegas and soon after was taken off the air. (laughs) And I was booked to talk about Las Vegas because I was really tuned into the symbolism on this. I mean, the symbolism on Las Vegas is just... It's off the charts. It's like nothing, literally nothing I've ever seen in my life. He booked me to uh, come on the show and talk about it, but there kept being these weird issues. At one point, somebody seemed to be intercepting the signal. Uh, you know, things just went down. And and then, like I said, all of a sudden he wasn't on the air in Las Vegas anymore. So kind of keep it in that context, but you know, the whole thing that we were talking about with the siren issue is based on Heaven in Las Vegas. I mean, Heaven in Las Vegas is really the linchpin. It's one of their albums which seemed to have a very strong prophetic tie-in with the issues with you know Jeff Buckley and Chris Cornell and so on. So, I mean, Heaven in Las Vegas was really the linchpin for me. And while I was decoding, I mean, the symbolism in Las Vegas is so in-your-face and so blatant that it escaped no one. I think that everybody really understood when they saw that footage of this stuff going on under the shadow of this eerie illuminated sphinx and giant black pyramid. You don't need to be a you know, a PhD in, in symbolism and semiotics, you know, even though no such thing exists to suss out what you're looking at there. I mean everybody got it. Everybody saw what was going on. But I don't think they just realized the depths of it. I started to think about like, well, what's the significance of this heaven in Las Vegas? And then it struck me like a ton of bricks. It's the War in Heaven, and it's the War in Heaven that you know I know Gordon White's been talking about in context of the geopolitical situation and economics, but this is just the war in heaven on on a higher realm I mean, for argument's sake, we can say this exists in the symbolic realm, and you know you can psychologize it, but at the same time, once you really get into the detail it defies any rational explanation
1: mm-hmm. it does and you know i listened to that show again and you were pretty clear with the statement that this is leading up to something big and something bad and at the time we were talking about the flurry of hurricanes named after ancient goddesses that incarnated into the sirens in ancient rome but then like you said this harvest festival shooting happened two days later and it's just like so prophetic i mean Yeah, like you said, it's also completely drenched in symbolism. 32nd floor, Babylon's on the 32nd parallel, Black Pyramid, more deaths underneath that. It's called the Harvest Festival. It has the winged sun disc invoking on the logo of it. Paddock shoots a bunch of people that are corralled into a a fenced area. It's just like, what the hell? Jason Aldean's Black Sun tattoo.
2: Yeah, and his... You know the flaming hexagons on his stage show, and and in one stage show that I had put a an image on on the blog. There's like a flaming black pyramid above the stage. It's interesting because, you know, you couldn't tie me to a chair to get me to listen to Jason Aldean music, but I I was really like, what is going on with this? First of all, that's not his real name. His real name is Jason Williams, and The whole tie-in with Aldeen, because when I heard Aldeen, I was like, "Wow, that sounds like an Arabic name," and I believe it is an Arabic suffix. And I sort of started thinking about Aladdin and the Aladdin Casino, which was very famously imploded in 1998. The Aladdin Casino was imploded, and it sort of gave people a very strong mental image of what a controlled demolition looks like. It just goes on and on. I mean, Hmm. we are at a very strange point in the timeline here because the barrier that once existed between the symbolic and the physical has just broken down entirely, I think. Right. And I think, I don't think it just broke down of its own accord. I think it was, it was a controlled demolition. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, it was blown up and it was blown up through a series of very powerful and concentrated rituals. Mm-hmm.
1: And the Vegas thing also, you know, like you mentioned, heaven in las vegas was one of the cocteau twins albums but mandalay bay invokes water and she actually wrote or i guess they wrote heaven in las vegas 27 years ago fraser was 27 27 encodes nine and you also mentioned the 10-1 date is binary for nine so a lot of nines popping up in this thing and to have written something 27 years ago at age 27 is pretty on the nose i just find that so crazy how the numbers always seem to repeat and stack in these kind of interesting ways
2: well that ties into the whole idea of the 27 club that you hear about with these rock star deaths right so there's that tie in there so there's just you know like i said the walls of demarcation are they're not crumbling they've crumbled and 27 in some astrological reckonings ties into the whole idea of the saturn return so She was born in 63, 1990 is a Saturn return, and then to 2017 is another Saturn return. And then, you know, we talked about this whole bizarre appearance she made at Royal Albert Hall in London during the summer of 2017. So there's definitely something going on with the numerology. And, you know, again, I mean, 27 is 9 times 9 times 9. And 27 years from the date of the Las Vegas shootings And this is very important, because 27 years from that date is the occultation of Regulus by Venus, and there seems to be an enormous amount of emphasis being placed on this celestial event. Gordon seems to think that it's some sort of Luciferian or or Lucifer symbolism, where Venus is the morning star, and it occults the king, Regulus has been tied to you know king david for instance and to jesus throughout history so we have this whole symbolism this on the nose october 1st you know like you said the binary the nine the nine times nine times nine so what we're seeing here is that you know the birth of elizabeth fraser 63 to 1990 heaven in las vegas that's nine times nine times nine to the las vegas shootings that's nine times nine times nine and then to these Occultation of regulus that seems to have you know an enormous amount of importance and I'll tell you why I believe it has an enormous amount of importance because You know you hear all this talk about the singularity and when man and machine merge and all this kind of thing They say that is going to happen. You know, you can look this up yourself I mean the date they cite for the singularity for this apotheosis is 2045, you know, which is right after you know, October 2044 there obviously seems to be a great deal of esoteric, occult, maybe even satanic expectation attached to this date of the occultation of Regulus. Now, and the interesting thing about Regulus is that Regulus kind of shows up throughout the year. I mean, you know, you mentioned the Great American Eclipse, Mm -hmm. which sort of cut the continental United States in half. The only star that was visible during the eclipse was Regulus. So. Regular seems to be of high symbolic resonance and importance in all this, as do the issue with nines and 27s. I mean, everything. It's I've never seen, I mean, I'll say it again, I've never seen a more symbolically weighted to the point of absurdity with the symbolism. I've never seen an event of this magnitude in the more than 20 years that I've been doing this kind of work. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, not even 9-11 comes close. So I think this has kind of fallen down the memory hole with a lot of people. But look at how Las Vegas just seems to be popping up everywhere all the time now. So obviously, there's some sort of importance, not only to these celestial alignments, but also to Las Vegas.
1: Well, the astrological alignments are always kind of there in your writing but it seems like they play such a huge role now and in the posts that you've made especially since that last time we talked it's like so many of them include these weird astrological alignments or these symbols that reference certain constellations and i guess i would ask how big an aspect of the secret religion is that it's clearly pretty key
2: well i mean you've read starships right yeah yeah (laughs) not to keep citing gordon here But yeah, I mean, I think star magic is absolutely integral, absolutely central to this. And it's interesting because it's not something that I paid a great deal of attention to in the past, but I was kind of forced to after this. It's everywhere. It's encoded the more you look. And I'm sort of a beginner at this, but I'm very visually oriented. So I started looking at maps of the constellations and I started to see it. I started to see how these symbolic journeys from one constellation to another seem to be popping up this past year. You know, you've heard about the 923 situation. I think that is extraordinarily key. You don't have to look at it in a biblical context at all. I mean, I see it as a go signal. If you look at the alignment on September 23rd, everything just the storeroom was emptied, you know, they they emptied all the cabinets and just started throwing everything at us after that alignment.
1: And for people who aren't familiar, you're talking about this past year the Virgo Leo Jupiter Moon alignment, right? Yes, which I call the beauty and the beast.
2: And I believe is the source of the beauty and the beast as a myth, as a fable, as a fairy tale. You know, I know that there's been citations that it's based on a historical event, but I think the overarching meaning, and of course, I looked into the history of Beauty and the Beast, you know, and as you would always expect, there are secret society and intelligence connections. I mean, even going as far back to like the 18th century with that kind of storytelling. So there's obviously an expectation involved here. And of course until Star Wars The Last Jedi was released. You know, the biggest grossing movie of 2017 was Beauty and the Beast. And Beauty and the Beast is based in large part on the film made by Jean Cocteau. That's one of the reasons that I call Virgo, Leo, Beauty and the Beast. I facetiously refer to them as the Cocteau twins. (laughs) Because, I mean, if you see the the original Beauty and the Beast cartoon, and then you see this live-action remake, they're really drawing on Jean Cocteau's vision and his ideas, particularly with these animated candlesticks, things like that. I mean, Disney sort of takes it to a whole other level in the cartoon and then to a whole other level in the live action film. And one of the things that I, I said is, that, boy, this kind of reminds me of the Internet of Things, you know, the smart <laughs> grid. You're internet being connected to your refrigerator and to your coffee maker and to your can opener, <laughs> you know, that they all become sentient somehow. I don't know how much of that is just projection on my part and how much of that is intent. I mean, it certainly could be a mixture of both. But this 923 that we heard about, you know, so heard about in the conspiracy circles, particularly with the, the Christian conspiracy theorists. It's interesting because in this regard, there's an apocalyptic expectation to that. And there's this whole sort of comic book idea that we've been handed down and as to what that term means. I mean, I sort of look at it in the Gnostic context. And the Gnostic context is when, you know, the reality of this false paradigm that we live within is revealed, you know, the reality underneath it. And that's, mm. you know, I just want to back that up and clarify for that people. When I use the term apocalypse, I use it in the Gnostic context where, you know, the reality underpinning this hoax that we're living in is revealed
1: right it's a great revealing which has to come before the fall and it does seem like in so many areas we are in the midst of a great revealing
2: yeah i think so and the funny thing is is that i I think it's just flying completely under the radar of most people the thing is is that the symbolism is becoming so extreme and so blatant like in the case of las vegas with the sphinx and with the pyramid and And the Harvest and and the numerology. And then, of course, Area 51 and Janet Eyre and and on and on and on. But I don't think people really connect the dots. It's kind of like when you look at one of those kid books where, you know, you see a bunch of dots and, you know, it's a connect the dots thing. But nobody really bothers to connect the dots and see the overall picture. Mm -hmm. You know, since I've been doing this for so long and since for some arcane and completely unknowable reason, there was this weird indie rock group from the 80s sort of at the
1: center of all this
2: <laughs> right. you know i i sort of had it was like it was like a key you know but it's funny when you know i always like to say that when you use the term obscure it's, it's basically a rough synonym for esoteric i mean they're both you know it's the same word i mean it's like you know you hear a lot of people talk about say jack parsons now and you know jack parsons is going to have a, a tv series on cbs all Access, but I mean, 20 years ago, I mean, maybe even 10 years ago, nobody knew who the hell Jack Parsons was. Only, you know, the weirdos on these Internet message boards knew who that guy was.
1: Right. Now the Babylon working has its own Wikipedia page.
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, but this is how it works. Things gestate in the underground. And I believe we discussed this when we were discussing the siren, is that things gestate in the underground and build up momentum You know, sometimes the momentum peters out, and sometimes it snowballs, and and just in this case, it snowballs. I can't tell you how many hours I've been putting into the blog because there's so much going on. There's just so much being thrown at us. You know, like I said, I believe that the nine twenty-three alignment was the go signal, and the Las Vegas situation was sort of the grand opening party, and then everything has followed from there. I mean, I can't believe the blatant in-your-face rituals just loaded with symbolism that should be familiar to anyone who's even taken a you know the, the slightest browse at this material it's just everywhere it's just all the time you know i call it the never ending ritual you know we're coming up to the super bowl i i believe that we're going to see a lot of this material a lot of the symbolism there i think it's going to tie back to las vegas it's going to be connected and we're going to reach a point that people are just Going to have to stop and say, Oh, wait. You know, I've been sort of brushing this stuff aside. I've been ignoring it. I've been denying it, but it's going to reach, you know, a critical mass. And I think, you know, that will be a a crisis point in our (laughs) history. Oh, it's
1: coming. And you mentioned a little earlier the references to Area 51. And some people might be like, Area 51, what does that have to do with the Harvest Festival? But let's loop in some of that covert military and ufo nexus stuff because firstly as you pointed out in the blog in mars attacks there's a major scene where a ufo blasts its ray gun directly where paddock was shooting people and that's you know one of those things where people could easily brush it off but then a story comes out that before he was shooting on that crowd paddock was trying to shoot the fuel tanks for janet air which is the daily commuter plane to area 51 so that's a strange detail but the icing on this cake, you were also telling me that it comes out that Paddock was working at the very firm that made the faulty O-ring that was blamed for the Challenger explosion during that time. He worked there when it was made.
2: So now it's like, wait, who is this guy and what the hell is going on here? Yeah, I think it's really important to establish who he is. <laughs> we heard a lot of really bogus stories about him come out in the wow. wake of the shootings. Most recently. One of these cover stories has been debunked, and that's that he refused housekeeping. And that's how a rather frail and not particularly healthy 64-year-old man was able to smuggle up what amounts to an arsenal for a small-sized army regiment up to his hotel room, hide it from staff, hide it from the hidden cameras that are all over these hotels, hide it from housekeeping, on and on and on. This cover story is just so absurd. It makes absolutely no sense. A 64-year-old millionaire just flipped out and decided to shoot up a music festival. Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, that happens all the time. Right. You know, we're just so used to that by now. I think we've become numb to it. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. The entire story that they're telling is a lie. It's a deliberate lie. It's everybody knows it. I mean, even the media eventually caught on to it and just sort of dropped the story entirely. We've heard a lot of stories about the Saudis and the Saudis owning the Four Seasons and that there was an assassination attempt on the crown prince and, and all these kinds of things. But that, to me, I mean, I'll admit that I haven't really gone into the, you know, the deepest detail on that angle of it. But to me, it just sounds like another cover story. And I'll tell you why it sounds like a cover story. Because of the symbolism is just so overwhelming and it's so pointed and it's so ritualistic that I can't see this in anything else but the context of a ritual. I'll give you a great example, and I know you know. I'll, I'll circle back to Paddock in just a moment. But around the time, in the wake of Las Vegas, the strange story came out that Boris Johnson, the foreign minister of Great Britain, was at a Buddhist temple in Myanmar, and he created sort of a stir, a sort of an international incident when he began reciting. Verses from Rudyard Kipling's The Road to Mandalay. Okay, so this came out in the wake of Las Vegas. And you would think, well, maybe, you know, he's sort of making reference to that either subconsciously or not. Well, then it turns out that that actually happened in January. It didn't happen in the wake of the shootings. It happened in January, but the news didn't come out until after the shootings. Right, they wanted the association to be made. Exactly. I mean, it almost feels like mocking that he knew you know, he was in Myanmar, which is with a real Mandalay, and it's not on a bay, by the way. (laughs) It's pretty landlocked. He was in Myanmar with a real Mandalay, and he's reciting this verse, but the story just by dint of sheer coincidence doesn't happen to come out until after the shootings. So uh, it's just, you know, come on, (laughs) come on. I mean, just stop. You know, I mean, it's just like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I'm very detail-oriented. I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of obsessive because I have major OCD, so I can't let go. When I get this sort of whiff, this odor in the air of some kind of ritualism or some kind of nefarious uh, esotericism, nefarious strain of esotericism at work here, I can't let go of it. I physically can't let go of it. Uh, <laughs> Well, one of those
1: crazy details of people like not really getting the connection to Elizabeth Frazier, like, yeah, she wrote an album called Heaven or Las Vegas. I mean, that's a pretty loose connection. But in my notes here, it says Paddock arrived in Las Vegas on eight seventeen, which is the same day that album was released in 1999, which is again, nine times nine times nine years. I mean, this is on the day, 27 years.
2: Yeah, it was actually... Nine seventeen. it was September 17th. Oh,
1: 917.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a long time to be hanging out before shooting. Yeah, I mean, so then, you know, there's the story behind Paddock starts to emerge. And what we see is that his father was a bank robber, quote unquote. I mean, we can't really go into detail on everything because there's so much detail to go through. But I went through, and people can go on the blog and, and see what I looked into with this guy. It's clear that this guy was a federal informant you know, he escaped from federal prison and somehow evaded capture, even though he was running a bingo parlor. And even though the local government and local police were trying to get this guy arrested, he was able to get a driver's license. I mean, this guy's a fugitive. You know, the U.S. Marshals aren't really known for letting people just run amok, particularly in a public setting like that. So this guy wasn't obvious. Mm-hmm. He He's obviously on the pad. Now, the son, I mean, Stephen Paddock, the Patsy here, he had worked for the federal government his entire working life. Every line item on his, his resume is for the federal government and specifically for the defense industry, for the Pentagon. I mean, he also worked for the IRS and then he worked for NASA contractors. He worked for Martin Marietta. And, you know, you made mention the fact that he was working for Morton Thiokol during the time that the O-ring that Thiokol produced was blamed for the Challenger disaster in 1986. January 1986, two weeks after the first Cocteau Twins album mm. was released in the United States. But that's, again, that's just another weird sort of signal. But this guy, Paddock, is so hinky. The fact that he listed his occupation as gambler is absurd. Right. You know, unless he's playing like major tournaments, you don't make money. You don't. That's not your income. Playing video poker is not the way you make money. You know those machines are set up so the house always wins. The whole entire story really points to the obvious fact, and I, I think a lot of people, even the mainstream media, are clued into this: that this guy was a gun runner. He was selling arms illegally, and he was using the gambling to launder the money. Mm-hmm. And I think that anybody who's looked, even With the most superficial intent at the story understands that, understands exactly who this guy was. So what was going on with the shootings and all the rest of it? It's all cover. It's all nonsense. Some people believe it's because of this situation with the Saudis. You know, what we've seen recently with the arrests of all these princes. I mean, there, I don't know what thousands of princes in in Saudi Arabia. And they're all sort of gangsters. I mean, it's just basically a giant crime family. You know, the sort of house cleaning in Saudi Arabia and the the fact that they own the Four Seasons. But the other thing that I've mentioned in regards to the ritualism here is that all the properties that this stuff went down. I mean, Mandalay Bay, Luxor and Las Vegas Village are all owned by MGM. Okay. and what's the connection here? This all started for me. I mean, all of this started for me when Chris Cornell dies. Where does he die? At the MGM in Detroit, right? Uh-huh. Chris Cornell owned a restaurant in Paris that was literally across the street from the front door of the Four Seasons Hotel in Paris. And then you have the Four Seasons that is somehow on the rooftop of Mandalay Bay, right? So there's this weird connection, you know, MGM, Four Seasons, Las Vegas, Heaven of Las Vegas. I mean, it just literally never ends. And every day something either significant or trivial pops up in regard to all this. So it's just like, I don't think anybody with a brain believes the cover story that a 64 year old accountant decided to just flip his lid and shoot up a bunch of people at a music festival. Nobody believes that. No. But I'm not exactly sure that I believe the cover story either.
1: Mm-hmm. And man, there's so many things to get to, but another little string that I just found mind-blowing was that Along the lines of these weird paddock connections, you've uncovered other connections between the major deaths we talked about last time and NASA. And we know most of what NASA does is just ritual with carefully selected dates of importance, and I'm sure you could say the same for ritual sacrifice, but the commonalities would be that Chris Cornell's death is the same day as the famous blue marble photo, Chester Bennington's death was the same day that the lunar module eagle supposedly landed on the moon, and according to the official history... NASA was founded on,
2: wait for it, ten one. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, this is exactly what I'm saying. And 10-1, again, is the day of the occultation of Regulus. So I believe that these things can be charted out way in advance. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that October 1st was chosen for NASA's birthday because I think they were looking towards this occultation of Regulus because it has some grand symbolic importance to them. And that was also in 1959, which is 58 years before the shootings. There were 58 victims plus one with Paddock, which makes 59. There you go. I mean, he was born, Paddock was born according to what we saw, what was released. He was born on April 9th, which is 4-9. In 4-9, that was the selection of the Mercury 7 astronauts. So there's obviously an, a significance attached to 4-9. And what have we seen this past year? We've seen the Take a Knee protests, the 49ers. 49ers. And then four days after the shootings, we have Blade Runner 2049 being released. That takes place in Las Vegas. You know, I mean, I understand people like to be skeptical. I understand people like to have some sort of distance between the rational thoughts and sort of their symbolic or esoteric indulgences. But it just gets to the point here that the level of detail is so extensive and so obsessive that it just wears you down. You can't look at this event. I mean, you could fill encyclopedias with the symbolism that's surrounding all of this. You can't look at it and think of it's anything but what your tells you that it is. You know, right. I mean, all the stuff with the dates, and you know, again, this whole thing where it really starts for me with Chris Cornell. And like you mentioned, the Apollo 10, the big blue marble, that image that the flat earthers are always so incensed about, and then ends with the birth of NASA. It's almost like a reverse time situation, yes, <laughs> which is a big thing in, in high esotericism and high ritualism. Mm. So yeah, there's so much of it. There are so many connections with NASA here. I mean, the fact that he worked for a NASA contractor during a, a very famous disaster event, You know, and then it takes place on NASA's birthday. As far as NASA is concerned, there's this whole controversy where we see this guy who looks a lot like Stephen Paddock wearing a pink pussy hat and a pink NASA shirt at one of these Trump protests in Nevada. Now, listen. I know there's been a lot of controversy and a lot of people try to debunk that. I mean, I looked at those pictures pretty carefully. That really looks like Stephen Paddock to me. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, he has this NASA connection. His home in Florida was a half an hour away from Cape Canaveral. Yeah. What are you going to say? It's (sighs) just, no, I'm serious. I mean, what are you going to say? And it's like, you know, we had talked about the fact that NASA was doing all sort of these uh, plague vector (laughs) experiments with balloons during the Great American Eclipse the entirety of 2017 dating back to i sort of tie it back and we can talk about this to the super bowl with this really blatant symbolism you know particularly i think a lot of people sort of misdiagnosed what was they were seeing but it just seems to me that the entirety of 2017 was just all these major events were so ritually loaded that you start to get a sense that this is all part of a single cycle and i would also add in Beyonce at the Grammys with this as well. I mean, I've tried as best I can. I'm sure there's going to be more that's going to pop up, things that I missed. But it just seems to me that the entirety of 2017 was one long ritual cycle. And again, I mean, I sort of keyed into this because of this connection that I had that i had been following for a number of years. I mean, I can't exactly explain why that is or what significance it has involved in this whole cycle. But I just know that it just keeps coming up, you know, it keeps coming up sevens. It's, it's like I keep hitting jackpots with it. It's like nothing I've ever seen. It's like nothing I've ever done, you know, and like I said, I've been doing this for 20 years or so. So
1: yeah, I mean, it's quite validating for sure. And. You know, let me ask you this while we're kind of talking about the space programs in Vegas. What would you say about the recent Pentagon, quote unquote, disclosure? And of course, Tom DeLonge having dozens of photos online of him rocking Freemason symbols and now being the front man for some deep state UFO reveal and buddy buddy with John Podesta. I mean, these are strange times.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, and don't forget that he did his little presentation 10 days after the shootings in Las Vegas. Mm. You had that Podesta tweet. Nine days. So there's our nine again. There's our ritual nine. Pedestria tweeted about this nine days after Las Vegas. And then the next day we have this big presentation with all these CIA and Pentagon and Lockheed Martin and Hal (laughs) off. I mean, come on, you know? I mean, it's like, really? That was a coincidence somehow. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what significance of the fact that Paddock was trying to blow up area, you know, area 51's pet airport there. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what that was about <laughs> yet. I kind of have a hunch, but I can't really go on record on it yet because I haven't nailed down the details. But yeah, I mean, the fact that this all starts, I mean, it literally all starts. The first act of this drama here is somebody shooting from Mendeley Bay, whether it's Paddock or some black ops guys. I mean, I'm not exactly sure who allegedly trying to blow up the gas tanks at Janet Air. Then DeLong sort of comes out with this whole UFO thing, and then we sort of see this New York Times, okay? <laughs> I mean, the paper of record, the grand Whirlitzer of the Mockingbird program, the voice of the CIA, <laughs> that in Washington Post, really hammering this whole thing. Like, okay, we've been telling you for 70 years now that there's nothing to this whole UFO thing, but we changed our minds. Now there is something to it. I mean, really? Come on. And it's all sort of based, actually, I didn't put this in my notes, but I should sort to of bring this up, that it's all sort of based on this gun camera video, what they call the Tic Tac video of this UFO and fleet of UFOs that this Navy pilot was said to be sighting and following. And it's based on a PBS program on the Nimitz destroyer. I mean, this whole production, does anybody, anybody at all, not realize that this is a deep state ritual drama being unfurled on our heads? I don't think anybody questions that. Nobody takes it for granted. Nobody takes it on face value. To me, it's clearly part of a ritual cycle. And the fact that there is this tie-in with Paddock involved in this, and there are other details. Like I don't want to hit people with too many details because there's so many details and they go so deep, but there's a connection between Paddock and DeLong and Operation Paperclip and so on and so forth. Just go to the blog. You'll see it all because it's a visual thing. You have to see it. But there is a lot of symbolism attached with DeLong. I mean, DeLong's father was an oil company executive. Mark Hoppus's father designed missiles for the Navy. Right. You know, I mean, these guys have been groomed since they were 12 years old. It's just so blatant. It's so in your face. And the name Blink. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But after DeLong leaves Blink One Eighty Two, he forms Angels and Airwaves. Ford sponsors them. You know, the Ford Motor Company sponsors them. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, really, he likes to present himself as just a sort of hey, I'm just a punk rock guy from the suburbs, you know, just skateboarding around. And <laughs> I hit it big by by sheer coincidence, by just dumb luck. I, I became, you know, a, a multimillionaire. Yeah, come on. Once you look under the surface with so many of these things, it all becomes apparent, you know, who's groomed, who is chosen. You know, the story that we hear about people like Lady Gaga and Mark Zuckerberg and Sergey Brin all attached to this, what they called Geek Camp, which is basically just a, a grooming program run out of John Hopkins. John Hopkins was deeply involved in MKUltra, Duke University, I mean all these kind of things. We're sold these rags to riches little fantasies in the media, but they're never based in fact. And in, in the case of Tom DeLong, you know, he has swam in deep state waters since before he was born. Because the oil company that his father was an executive for was the Malaysian state oil company. You know, add that up. How is a guy from the suburbs of San Diego become the, you know, the VP of the Malaysian state, Malaysia Mm -hmm. Muslim country in the South Pacific? I mean, how does that happen? Come on. You know, it just it adds up and it adds up. And uh, no, you wanted to talk about the Blink thing. Maybe we should sort of fast forward that a bit to when we get back into the Elizabeth Fraser stuff, because, yeah, there's an Elizabeth Fraser connection there. And there's also an Elizabeth Fraser connection with that Tic Tac video that the New York Times and so on were getting so excited about. We had talked before we started recording that I'm starting to think that there's a cult around this woman. <laughs> right. And maybe we can sort of, when we add up that little uh, laundry list, we can put that stuff in there. Yeah, Absolutely. but there is an Elizabeth Frazier connection with Blink. I mean, it just, come on, it just never ends. So the only other little thing I wanted to
1: throw in there about the recent Pentagon disclosure thing is, of course, Harry Reid is... Right in the center of this thing, and all the, apparently these files and these reports are all going to Bigelow, who lives 10 miles north of Vegas, and what was weird was that Harry Reid shows up on TV with a bandage over his eye, like he got his ass kicked, and he says it was from an accident with an exercise band, which is how Chris Cornell strangled himself, so they say, an exercise band, what a random thing to be popping up it seems like it's some kind of
2: code almost yeah it does feel like it's some kind of code and harry reed said that he was exercising in his bathroom who the fuck exercises <laughs> in their bathroom nobody does it's insane you know, right. particularly like an 80 year old man does not exercise in his bathroom it's just it's crazy so much room to stretch bands in your bathroom <laughs> Yeah, exactly well some people have pretty big bathrooms particularly a guy like harry reed um, true but you know this ties into this, the fact that everything that we've been seeing in the wake of the shootings in Las Vegas all seems to tie back to what I call the Vegas, Vega, the star Vega, which seems to have immense importance in this whole ritual understanding here. Bob Bigelow, UFO disclosure, Las Vegas. Bob Bigelow's, you know, Bigelow Aerospace is literally right up the boulevard there from downtown Las Vegas. Harry Reid, Nevada. You know, the flying joint, as I like to call it, that came in and, you know, moa, which means advanced scout in place of an invasion in Hawaiian. I think, I believe that they've sort of changed the timeline and changed the story on this. But when that first appeared, they said it came from the direction of Vega. I'm yep. not <laughs> exactly sure how they thought that. And then sort of the coup de grace in this ritual cycle. Something, a story that I think a lot of people might have even ignored, but this whole thing where American doll... Comes out with a new what they call you know the girl of 2018 and it's Daniela Vega and she's an astronaut and this whole thing is premiered in this very ritualistic fashion on Good Morning America. I mean this I don't understand how just the marketing of a doll becomes such a major news story. But if you just do a a news search on Daniela Vega and American doll or American girl dolls, you won't believe how important this seems to be to a lot of people. But you know the name Luciana Vega, I sort of decoded that as Analusis, and Analusis is the way that the Freemasons they add four thousand to what the current year is, so this would be I guess anlusis sixty eighteen lucis Luciana, and also Lucifer Lucis, you know mm-hmm. I mean I mean, Luciana is the feminine diminutive of of Lucis light Lucis trust <laughs> Lucifer. Oh, God. I mean, it's either the walls of reality have just entirely broken down because these ritual magicians have just been hammering at them for the past 70 years, or I am in a coma, and this is all just like a weird dream that I'm having. It's kind of 50-50 at this point. Right. It's coin flip. And, of course, right now is the Consumer Electronics Expo. That's taking place in Las Vegas. The other day, we saw a blackout. At 11 o'clock, they said shortly after 11, I think it was probably at 11.03. So we get that 33. So there was a blackout at the Consumer Electronics Expo, which is a huge deal. I mean, it's enormous. It's like, you know, take the San Diego Comic-Con and multiply it times 50. And that's what the Consumer Electronics Expo is in, in Vegas. So this is a huge deal. This is a huge event. There's going to be a major artificial intelligence Expo in Las Vegas. I mean, everything seems to be pointing to Las Vegas for some reason. And then, you know, there's a connection with Area 51 and again, with Bigelow airspace. It's like, it's all seems to be coalescing in this little bit, this little patch in the middle of the desert. So again, this is just another reason that I can absolutely not regard that, you know, the Harvest 91 festival as anything else, but entirely ritualistic. And Mm -hmm. if anybody has any problems with that, please go to the blog, click on the Las Vegas link, and just look at the reams and reams and reams of data, all from mainstream news sources, by the way. You know, I'm not going to, like, your newswire, Neon Nettle, and Infowars to get my information on this. It's all culled from mainstream news sources because you don't need to look at those sites anymore. You you understand what I'm saying? You don't need to look at DavidIke.com or Infowars or Skywatch TV because everything now is out in the open. It's just that people don't know what they're looking at.
1: Yeah. Oh, I so agree, man. And if we're going to transition back to Frasier and the Fraser cult, you know, one criticism, actually the only criticism that I got from the last show is comments of people saying that Elizabeth Frasier's weird eyes are the result of drugs, not spirits. And personally, I don't see those two things as mutually exclusive. In fact, I think they're very complementary, even. But, you know, you gave me a lot of extra details about her childhood, and so many prominent artists seem to pay homage to her in their work, or there's pictures of them long ago wearing Cocteau Twins t-shirts and stuff. So it seems like a certain nexus of people have picked up on this, like you've said, and they definitely try to, like, tack on to it for their own artistic exploits, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's really strange. I don't understand it. But one thing that I would like to sort of back up just back to the significance of of Beauty and the Beast is Beauty and the Beast, of course, starts Emma Watson, who is familiar to us as Hermione from the, the Harry Potter films. Now, Emma Watson was in a film in 2012 called Perks of Being a Wallflower. And the whole linchpin of Perks of Being a Wallflower was this cocktail twin song called Pearly Dewdrops Drop. And, you know, I actually put a video clip of her talking about, like, you know, the song, she'll know that, you know, her life is set when she hears the song and somebody comes up to her. It's this, this whole thing. that. But the guy who um, wrote and directed that film and wrote the novel that it's based on also wrote the screenplay for Beauty and the Beast. So... The biggest movie of the past year until the release of Return of the Jedi, I mean, this Beauty and the Beast film grossed a half a billion dollars in the United States alone, has this very strong and very direct connection, not only to, you know, Elizabeth Fraser and the Cocteau Twins, but to this very highly significant, highly loaded song called Pearly Dewdrops Drops And I can explain this in a bit, but really has the same meaning as heaven in Las Vegas, it's a re- referral to you know the fallen angels, to the war in heaven between you know Michael and Lucifer, and and this might sound completely off the beaten track to a lot of people, but once you start to look at the evidence, you know you see it. And again, this whole thing, Beauty and the Beast, the Revelation 12 alignment. I look at the Book of Revelation a little bit differently than a lot of other people do. When I look at the Book of Revelation, what I'm seeing is numerology and astrology. And in the cases of chapters like 12, what I'm seeing, you can look at this on a, on a star map, is that it's a journey backwards through the constellations from Leo to Aquarius. There's a straight line right across the ecliptic. The dragon is, there are a number of serpent constellations, Hydra, Draco, serpents that are connected to this. In the book of Revelation, she's given the wings of an eagle. That's Aquila. The dragon tries to drown her with water. That's Aquarius. You know, once you understand, once you start looking at star maps and you start looking at the constellations, you really start to understand that this is, it's all stellar. It's all star magic. It's all very high-initiate star magic. Now, we talked about the siren and Tim Buckley and Jeff Buckley and, you know, the significance of the name Buckley meaning shepherd boy. Now, if you look at the star map conjoined with this Leo Virgo alignment, you know, which of course happens all the time, but the 923 alignment is planets and the moon lining up, you know, within this alignment. Just to the north of that is Bootes and Bootes is the shepherd. So clearly all these ancient myths that I was looking at in regards to Inanna and Ishtar and Astarte and all these gods, you know, who Sort of eventually evolve into the siren, and all have these shepherd boy consorts. It's star magic. It's the conjunction of Virgo and Bootes. Now, I'm not exactly sure what the meaning is to all these people, but when I looked at the characters in the the Disney Beauty and the Beast films, I'm like, oh my god, this all lines up with these constellations along Virgo and Leo. But then, it, yeah. the way the story progresses, you know, for instance, when Gaston battles the Beast. That's the war in heaven between Orion the Hunter and Taurus. See what I'm saying here? Yeah, I love that post. Yeah, I couldn't believe it because, okay, so I started looking at these characters like Lumiere and Cogsworth and Mrs. Potts and, you know, even the little chair thing, the little footrest with the two tails. I mean, that's basically Comet Berenice and the Canis constellations. A lot of it is very highly visual. For instance, with with Lumiere, you would think, well, what's the connection of Cancer to the crab? Well, it's the shape of the constellation. Same thing mm-hmm. in regards to Cogsworth and the constellation known as Sexton's. It's actually very clever. I mean, I, I really applaud these guys for their creativity there because Cogsworth has that mustache, which is the minute and hour hands of the clock face, but that's the formation of Sexton's. And all these things are connected to these, you know, again, this Virgo and Leo, And it seems to be just very highly significant and also Orion. But there's also this weird conjunction where, I mean, I don't understand it. I'm not well versed in this lore as as much as many people are. And I don't really understand the significance of it. But there's also the issue of Vega, Vega, which is in the constellation of Lyra. And Lyra is Orpheus's harp, which was given to him by Apollo. So there's a connection to Apollo. But that somehow Vega has some sort of connection to Sirius. And I guess it's because they're on opposite ends of the celestial globe there. And also, you know, it's the Summer Triangle and the Winter Triangle and so on and so forth. So there is just like very high initiate star magic. So all the people who sat through me sort of ranting and raving about this whole situation with Elizabeth Fraser and Jeff Buckley and sort of go, well, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. But what's the significance of it? Well, I'll tell you exactly what the significance of it is. It's somehow connected in ways that I can't explain and don't understand to this very highly charged expectation that somehow has to do with Leo, Bovodes, maybe Hydra or Draco, take your pick, and Leo, you know, just the way these constellations seem to be the, the focus of so much attention going back millennia. The fact that we see this in the book of Revelation, you know, in a chapter which you can just spell out soup to nuts is a voyage to the constellations. There's some esoteric secret society, deep occult meaning to all this that we have yet to parse, but yeah, I think soon enough we'll understand it. But just the fact that it's all connecting to this, what was the biggest movie of 2017, this highly loaded, highly ritualistic year is that synchronicity is that coincidence is that happenstance, you know, Absolutely not. I'm not exactly sure how the pieces fit together. All I can say is that, you know, the pieces of the puzzle here, there's a few pieces missing. But once we get those pieces, we will understand, hopefully, exactly what is going on to us, around us. And, you know, maybe start to understand what this false reality paradigm that we're living in is all about. Right. But anyway. Well, you
1: know. Yeah. So, I
2: mean, <laughs> you wanted to talk about this,
1: Fraser. Well, I was going to say uh about the movies, then it was only usurped by a movie made by the same company. Another movie made by Disney, you know, the star Wars one and Disney has been a company obsessed with stars and magic from the very beginning. And you mentioned pearly dewdrops drop. And it's like, if you were channeling an entity that wanted to poetically describe and reference that fallen angels mating with those fair earth women, that whole chapter, if you wanted to reference that pearly dewdrops dropping. Sounds a lot like semen from the sky. Yes,
2: it does. Well, you just got to say it. (laughs) It really does. Yeah, it really does. And this, this is interesting because I made reference to this with Elizabeth Frazier believed, and she said so at the time that the single was released, that she believed that she was somehow channeling, you know, her lyrics and her melodies and she didn't really understand where they came from. And she made reference to uh, this woman, this very, at the time, was sort of well-known, this British housewife who would claim that she was channeling the ghosts of all these famous composers. And she actually produced, like, symphonies, she claimed were literally ghost-written by them. So in this regards, this whole idea of the pearly dewdrops is, is really, I think, it's very highly symbolically loaded. And I, I believe that, you know, the chorus to the song is about 2017. That's a very bold claim, but I'll, I'll just back it up a bit here. So pearly dewdrops, I believe, is a reference to the pearly gates of Revelation, and that's Revelation 2.1, colon one. So that's the inverse of this 9.23 alignment, which is Revelation 12.1.2. So there's a numerological sort of inversion involved here. But the dewdrops I mean, the dewdrop sounds like, oh, it's charming, and some people think it's about candy and, and so on and so forth. Dewdrops, if you look in the Old Testament, dewdrops appears again and again and again, and it has to do with blessings from heaven, the dew falling from heaven, the dewdrops, I mean, just do a search at a place like Bible Gateway or, or you know whatever online resource that you prefer, and you'll see this show up several different times, you know, particularly in the Old Testament. So pearly dewdrops drop to me. I mean, a lot of people think, oh, isn't that charming? Oh, she's so eccentric and isn't that cute. They're not listening to the way she's singing, where she doesn't seem to be very happy about the pearly dewdrops drops. drops. (laughs) And they don't know the lyrics because the lyrics are kind of hard to parse. I mean, I actually listened to the song. You know, I've been listening to the song for 34 years now, but I actually sat down and really worked on the lyrics and I, I believe I decoded them. But she's talking also about the ruby suns. And, of course, we saw the red suns this year attached to Hurricane Ophelia. We're in Great Britain, particularly. The suns were turned red. I mean, how much more biblical and apocalyptic do you need to get than the sun turning red? You know what I'm saying? We also had the moons turning red. But another thing we can get into in a bit is, you know, I believe that she has a lot of... I mean, she's very well-read, but as I mentioned before, but I believe that she also has a lot of witchcraft and esoteric knowledge because she talks about the ruby stars and the ruddy cups. Now you think, well, what does that mean? Well, the ruby star, the star ruby, is a ritual in Alistair Crowley's, I I believe it's in the, the Silver Star order. So the ruby star is a reference, intentionally not, to that. And the reason why I believe this is intentional is that she talks about the ruddy cups. The ruddy cup is the cup of the Whore of Babylon in Revelation 17, I have a lot of reason to believe that she was very directly referencing biblical symbolism at this point in time. There's other songs that she was doing so as well. So I believe that what she's talking about is the cup of abominations, you know, drunk on the blood of saints, all that really phenomenal poetic language that we read in, particularly in the King James version of Revelation. So... You know, the first line of the song is ruby stars are ruddy, ruddy in some regards means it's red. So she's saying red stars are red. That doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, it's just it's it's silly. If you put that in the context of her little lyrics where they seem to be just constructing words at random and constructing words out of other words and so on and so forth, you would think, well, I guess that makes sense. I mean, she's just she's spouting nonsense. So ruby stars are ruddy. It's a pearly dewdrops drop. Now, I'm telling you, I just got chills because I realized Mm -hmm. what she's saying here is that, you know, the sun turns red, the horror of Babylon (laughs) arrives, and the fallen angels. (laughs) It's all the same. So, I mean, you can look at it in the context of just like wordplay, but... I really don't believe that that's what's going on. And I'll tell you exactly why I don't believe that's what's going on. Because not only do we have this connection to Beauty and the Beast and the 923 alignment. And again, if this sounds all just completely insane to people, please just go to the blog. You know, I methodically spell it out over and over again. You'll see it visually in front of your eyes. It's very easy to understand. This whole idea of... The fallen angels, when you go to the YouTube and watch the video and in particular, watch the official video, just go to YouTube, type in cocktail twins, pearly dewdrops drop official video. So the official video starts with a close up of the archangels. And it's interesting because this was shot in a chapel in a very famous sanitarium or, you know, mental institution in England so it starts with the do the, the archangels but just immediately you see a waterfall superimposed over it so what's the significance to i mean you know uh-huh. it, angels falling <laughs> you know it's just like it's right there in front of your eyes mm-hmm. you know if you you think that i'm just sort of imagining things just go watch the video you will see the archangels and then you'll see a waterfall superimposed over them it's the pearly dirt drops to the fallen angels. And then it's sort of, you see fire, sticks being burned, and that's a whole other kettle of fish with Tampa, because Tampa means burning sticks. And we saw a lot of strange things going on in Tampa this past year as well. And then she emerges from the burning sticks, and she starts singing, you know, Ruby Stars are Ruddy. Ruby Star, the Star of Ruby, <laughs> Alistair Crowley, Ruddy, you know, the Cup of Abominations, Revelation 17. So it's like, oh my God, like, this is not a cute little... Song that everyone thinks it is. So then the lyrics, the lyrics to the chorus go. It's interesting here because she's, she alternates between singing Ruby Suns and Ruby Stars. And then sometimes she's doubling because the lyrics are like double, triple, quadruple track. So she's saying Ruby Stars and Ruddy Cups. Rose, the pearly dewdrops drops. Now, this is very important. Rose, the pearly dewdrops drops. So the pearly drops rose. And then it's, tis the lucky penny penny that binds the pearly to their souls. Now, I'm telling you, I'm getting chills again because I'm just thinking of all the information that I've been collating connected to all this. So it's ruby suns and ruddy cups. So again, it's that the suns turn red, the horror Babylon returns, the fallen angels rise, and then people are then... (laughs) You know, they, they either sell their souls or are somehow possessed by the fallen angels. Yeah. And you think, oh my god, oh my god, that's what she's saying. <laughs> it's like, oh shoot, oh it's just, it, and but when you watch the video, you'll think, oh, this is just you know her walking to a church and she's singing these little charming nonsense lyrics. That's not what's going on at all. She's singing about the fallen angels returning to heaven. Right. Now, the lucky penny, lucky lucky penny penny is very interesting to me because I I was like, well. Okay, a penny. What's the significance of a penny? And then I looked up the new design or the recent design for the British penny. And if you look on the flip side of, you know, the reverse of the British penny, you see this cropped out version of the British standard flag, which has, you know, these lions, these lion standards, you know, sort of archaic medieval imagery. But it has this cropped image of a lion's chest, and then it has a cropped image of the harp. I believe it's the Welsh lion and the Irish harp. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, that cropped out lion part, that's where Regulus, you know, we talked about Regulus in the occultation of Regulus. That's where Regulus is located in the constellation. And that part that you see on the British penny of the lion corresponds to what's called the sickle in Leo. And what's the sickle? The sickle is harvest. Okay, mm. you're following me here? And then the harp, is Lyra. It's the lyre. And if you do the research on this, it's pretty apparent that the harp that we see, like particularly in in the old Irish flag, is actually a reference to Lyra, to the constellation, that it had some sort of significance even back then. So it's Lyra and Regulus. But it's, you know, particularly it's the area of Lyra, the region of Lyra that corresponds to Vega. So it's basically the penny, the British penny, the lucky penny penny that she's singing about is Vega. It's some sort of conjunction. I don't understand it. I'm not familiar enough with the Star-Lord to explain it, but it's something to do with some sort of conjunction between Vega, Heaven of Las Vegas, and Regulus. And Regulus, of course, is kingship attached to Jesus Christ and to King David. This symbolism is all very arcane and it's very hard to parse. And you really need somebody who's like got really severe OCD to sort of sort through it <laughs> like me, but it's all there. You can argue with or not. So really what's getting back to this whole thing with the siren and we can talk about the eyes in a moment, but the whole thing with the siren to me was just like whatever was channeling itself through this woman was using these instances of the siren that are probably maybe a little bit easier because it's a simpler narrative to sort through, but they were using that just to sort of like establish her cred, you know, her prophetic cred. Mm-hmm. So all the stuff with the siren, you know, not only is there the esoteric and occult significance as far as the, in the conjoining of Virgo and Bootes, which has an obvious significance dating back to ancient Sumer, it's sort of like, it's an easy narrative that you can kind of hook into, but it's basically just like, Okay, well, you know, we saw that she was prophesying these situations with clarity and directness. So now you're going to the next level now. So it's like we're up to the next level now, and it's taking us to all this Lyra, Vega, all this Constellation stuff that, again, I don't understand. But it's this is going to be the defining issue on an esoteric level of our time. You know, I really believe that. And that's why I think that even if people just sort of look at Las Vegas in a parapolitical or conspiratorial context, and I understand that. And, and, and I'm not arguing that th- those elements might not be there. They might not be tacked onto that as well. But to me, this is really about the next phase of the big plan has kicked in. That sounds like, a, you know, a really bold claim and I'm sure a lot of people have made it and fallen flat on the face, but it's like, I bolster all this with information called from you know mainstream sources from Wikipedia on and on and on and on. It's just that I'm just sort of connecting the dots in a way that some people haven't, but I'm telling you it's just it just keeps piling on and on and on, and it it's almost gets to the point that the stuff becomes predictable, you know that yeah. we're going to see you know when you mention the Star Wars movie, Las Vegas is referenced in the next Jedi because. And a lot of people have been complaining on this online that for some reason there's this interlude on the planet Canto Bite, which is a casino planet. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like it starts off with Beauty and the Beast, pearly dude up drops and ends up with Las Vegas. So the two biggest movies of 2017 are basically... Pearly Dewdrops Trust in Heaven, Las Vegas. <laughs> you know, Heaven, Star, Star Wars. You know Coming I mean? from the same source. Yeah. So I have no idea. I can't explain why this stuff exists, why whatever force is driving this chose this rather obscure singer from the eighties, from, you know, like a arty new wave band to express itself through. And I'm not saying that it's only, I mean, there are probably other things going on out there that I'm not tuned into because I'm not familiar with the history and I'm not familiar with the context. I'm sure there are other things that other people will be zooming in on that will be prophesying all this. But I'm just telling you, I mean, this is what I happen to zoom in on. And I realize, again, as with the siren, this all sounds completely insane. But Look at when we talked about the siren. Look what happened two days afterwards. And then look what's going on with all the siren and mermaid stuff that we're seeing everywhere. Uh, just two big stories and two major news outlets. The the Independent and the Guardian just pushing the siren thing. I mean, You know, this mermaid thing. I mean, they're just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And if you do it again, do a news search on mermaids, they're dumping this stuff on our heads. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And I said so several months ago that the siren thing is going to be one of the archetypal dominance of this new age that we've entered into and you can't escape it. And that show siren still hasn't come on that Disney series coming up on, on Freeform hasn't come on yet, but you know, the interesting thing about the siren and mermaid stuff to me, and also they're doing a little mermaid live action remake, you know, in the context of the beauty and the beast live action remake. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, little mermaid mania is, has only just begun. But it very much seems like top down to me because, you know, we've seen how these sort of cultural fads and memes cycle through, you know, they cycle through. I mean, you know, people will be all interested in in mermaids and and so on and so forth. And then they'll get sick of it because it's overdone. People may be sick of it for all I know, but they're still pushing it and they're still pushing it hard, you know?
1: Agreed, man. Agreed. And we are... Definitely going into overtime here, but on the subject of claiming trophies, and earlier you talked about a shepherd boy. Another shepherd boy I wanted to talk about before we got out of here is Little Pete, because so, I got to take a second here to say that I've been doing this show for a long time and listeners should know that I am not one to try to inject myself into a story in any way. But in the past year, a weird thing has been happening where touring musicians will just email me and offer me a chance to come to their shows for free and hang out when they're in San Diego because they like the show. Uh, you know, I'm very appreciative, but it is sort of random. And this happened with someone associated with the artist Little Peep. This emo rapper who has parents out of Harvard and cryptic tattoos all over his body and face looks like MK Ultra shit through and through. But I got an invite to come hang out when he was here on October 9th within 10 days of the Vegas shooting right in between our recording of the last show and its release. But I passed on it because I was busy. And then a month later... He died from a bad batch of drugs that he took from a fan. In fact, his dead body was shown on Snapchat or Instagram or some shit. And again, this was right in the window of time that we were talking about Elizabeth Fraser, and I mentioned it to you thinking, well, this is kind of a weird guy, but there's no way Elizabeth Fraser called this one out, but she actually did, didn't she? <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. It's crazy. I had never heard of the guy before you you turned me on to him. And I, I saw the story, I guess, subconsciously, I was thinking about Little Bo Peep, of course. Yeah. And Little Bo Peep is a very famous nursery rhyme about the shepherd who loses her sheep or shepherdess, you know, little girl who loses her sheep and, and so on and so forth. And that that was sort of like the first, I, I guess, maybe the first inkling. But I was also thinking about the first song on, on the album Treasure, And Treasure is sort of the seminal album that came out in 1984 because the first song on the album is called Evo, but the original title of it was Peep Bo." Peep Bo. And if you listen to the chorus, I mean, she is singing the lyrics to the chorus, but she's also, the background vocals are going peep, 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 over and over again. And then after the uh, second chorus, there's the bridge. And she yells out, three die now, three die now, three go into our body, three go into our body. And I was like, all right, you got to be frigging kidding me. Because the first thing I thought was that Cornell, Bennington, and now this little peep. Okay, this sounds a little tenuous. But then I started sort of going over the dates and going over some of the details. And the album titles come over when you're sober. Uh, That reminded me of Jeff Buckley's song on his first album called Lover You Should Come Over. I'm just sort of scrolling down here. And also Peep Bo was released on November 1st, which was Little Peep's birthday. There it is. So the song, first song on that album is repeating the name Peep, Peep over and over again before it talks about, you know, three die now. You know, so in this reckoning, he would be the third. But his, that November 1st, birthday of his is actually the date of a number of releases of albums so there's including the lullaby EP which we talked about in connection with Jeff Buckley Jeff Buckley's Shepherd Boy Shepherd Boy Little Peep Little Bo Peep so on and so forth and that has the songs with a last dies laughing a last dies laughing connected to this and the cover art is the calla lily the calla lily which was associated with the siren or in this case Venus but also associated with the premature deaths of young men. Little Peep recorded a song with a rapper called Antoine. Antoine is a you know huge Cocteau Twins fan. Actually has an article where he talks about his favorite Cocteau Twins songs and talks about the band and so on and so forth. But I was really struck by that because of the dates. Oh, and also Little Peep was from Long Beach New York, which is on Long Island. And if you go to the uh, Wikipedia page of Long Beach and you see the city seal, the city seal is the siren. Right. Uh, so, God, people. <laughs> I mean, It just never ends. I mean, it literally never ends with this. Right. Also, you know, when you told me about not when he died, but when you told me about his death, there was actually a story that popped up in a number of news outlets that there were seahorses being found in the Thames. And the the seahorses were found in between the area of the Royal Festival Hall, where Elizabeth Frazier performed her only solo performance of her career, and the Millennium Dome in Greenwich, where the uh, 999 invocations of the Nephilim and the Fallen Angels and Genesis 6-4 took place in the year 2000. Again, if you're a little confused by this, just go to the post online about this, and it's, it's just it's stunning. But the fact that there's this bridge in the song and and I include the song and the video of the song in the post where she just yells out three die. Now it's like, what the hell does that have to do with anything? Three die now. And you know, again, I believe that that he was the third and it's interesting too, is that because it's like, it's almost like three generations. It's like Chris Cornell is my generation. You know, he's part of grunge, you know, came up in the eighties and so on. And then you had chester part of the new metal generation part of that that whole early 2000s cohort and then you have little peep who's part of this sort of late millennial generation of this time period i think that's sort of fascinating that you know it's like almost a trophy from each era is taken yeah. by this uh, this force this uh, force of nature and who for some Completely inexplicable reason decided to channel itself to this very troubled young woman.
1: Right. And just to reiterate, for people who think this connection is loose, this Ivo Bo Peep song is the first song on the first side of an album released on November 1st, and Bo Peep's birthday, or Little Peep's birthday, is November 1st. And then Yay. again, you mentioned the, the city seal with little peep of little peeps hometown featuring the siren. It also features an obelisk and it also features Poseidon. And to go back to the first death, Jeff Buckley, you talked about that when he died, it was on Garland's, it was Garland's day in the UK, which is when offerings or sacrifices were made to Poseidon. So again, the water evoking this Poseidon entity. I mean, it's clearly connected. It's just so random that I would be invited. I never heard of the guy until I was invited to the show. And then I looked him up and I'm like, wow, this is a weird guy in that nexus of music and mind control. And Chris might be interested. And then sure enough, these date syncs and of all the infinite things to talk about in a song, you talk about Bo Peep and you release the album on the day of this kid's birthday. I mean, it's, it's on point, man. It's on point. And you know, I got to let you go eventually, but I wanted to also maybe we could revisit Blink and how they got their name.
2: Yeah. So this whole CIA UFO disclosure, I've been sort of following this story. And uh, Grant Cameron, for instance, believes that the, the CIA have sort of cut DeLong out because DeLong sort of put himself out there and kind of flopped quite badly. You know, for instance, on the Joe Rogan show, <laughs> yeah, it was a PR disaster for this group. So he was sort of cut out of the loop. But Blink 182, I don't think a lot of people realize their original name was Blink. Just you know, simply Blink. And and when DeLong talked about the band, he always referred to them as Blink. Their first album was Cheshire Cat and was released under the name Blink, but then they were sued by a band from Ireland who had the name first. And the name Blink of, of this band that sued Blink that forced the name Blink 182 named the band after a Cocto's twin song. On Heaven of Las Vegas. And then we have the Las Vegas connection to the CIA UFO story with Bigelow and, and so on and so forth, you know, and then Area 51. And again, there's a lot of stuff with DeLong that I didn't really go into, but that bears a lot more investigation on his end, you know, particularly symbolically, but also this connection to Operation Paperclip as well. There's, there's a lot to be told here. And just one thing that I wanted to mention as far as, as Bo Peep goes, if You've been to the blog and you've seen the stories on the siren. There was this weird pattern where all these deaths took place south of a location called Fraser. For instance, Jeff Buckley died on the Wolf River. The Wolf River empties, or actually it's been sort of dammed off, but it emptied into the Mississippi at a town called Fraser. So if you followed the path of the Wolf River, just north, less than a mile, you would run into Fraser Chris Cornell died in Detroit, and the m g m Grand, which is at the end of Elizabeth Street, and that's also just south of of a Fraser Fraser, Michigan. Chester Bennington had a house in Arizona that was just south of a Fraser Fields. Little Peep died in Tucson, just south of not only where Chester Bennington lived but south of Fraser Fields. You know, we've discussed Heath Ledger and and, and those connections. And then one of the things we didn't discuss was Chi Chiang of the Deftones. The Deftones had made the absolutely terrible choice of covering a song by the Cocteau Twins called Wax and Wayne. It was on a B-Sides and Rarities album that they released. Wax and Wayne is an incredibly disturbing song about Satanism and witchcraft and child abuse and in my reckoning i i believe that this is part of this subconscious or, or maybe even semi conscious sort of processing that that she was doing at the time but it was really the wrong song to cover and uh, there's a lot of dates and you know all this kind of stuff and again just go to the blog do a search on deftones you'll see the stories on that but you know he also died uh, just south of of a, of a fraser locality and the interesting thing about it is that the further away you got from you know her in a circle the the weaker the sort of the fraser signal got so you had jeff buckley dying just south of uh fraser tennessee chris cornell dying south of fraser michigan but you know father south and then as you sort of work your way out into these other players in this drama you know the signal again gets a little bit weaker which to me is kind of specific and kind of speaks to a you know a magical power at work and i realize that sounds crazy but again, just, you know, go look up the uh, the evidence, which I, you know, detail as best I can on the blog and just look, look outside your window and just look at the siren and mermaid and, you know, all the rest of it showing up everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that we didn't really talk about, but I've, I've been writing about a lot on the blog is this whole transgenics agenda, transgenics and CRISPR-Cas9. Um, they're going to be uh, human trials in CRISPR-Cas9 this year. Or at least public trials. I believe that they've been doing this all along. I believe that we are a lot closer to anybody would want to know as far as creating human animal hybrids. And, you know, not just like these kind of things they've been doing as far as, you know, organ harvesting and whatnot. I mean, I, I believe that they, we are going to be seeing chimeras being introduced to the public. I believe that that's what this mermaid stuff, which seems very top down, which seems very almost I don't want to necessarily say elite driven, but it doesn't seem to me that there's this great clamor from from mermaid stuff, you know, with kids. I I think that this is being driven, you know, from the top. But I I also believe that it's it's part of a process to condition us to accept transgenics. I realize it's a very extreme statement. I'm not necessarily given to extreme statements, no matter what people might listening to this might believe, (laughs) but I believe that we are rapidly being conditioned to accept chimeras, I believe the chimeras are much, much closer than people would ever want to suspect. It's very disturbing, but again, it's all part of this apocalyptic process. And getting back to Las Vegas so to sort of tie this all together, heaven of Las Vegas and so on and so forth, you know, I believe that this occultation of, of Regulus by Venus on October first, in twenty seven years from the day of the shootings, which were twenty seven years after the release of Heaven in Las Vegas, is somehow a decisive event in this struggle, this power struggle going on between people who are either identified or identify themselves with the archangels and people who identify themselves with the Watchers or the Fallen Angels or, you know, the pearly dewdrops and and, and so on and so forth. I mean, one, one thing that I just wanted to add about pearly dewdrops, you know, as far as corresponding to Beauty and the Beast and Emma Watson and so on and so forth, again, go watch that official video and at the two thirty nine mark, two minutes and thirty nine seconds mark, Elizabeth Frazier lets loose with this just howl. This just it just comes out of nowhere. She just howls. And two three nine is how in every country except the United States, September twenty-third is notated. So she's howling, which corresponds to Revelation twelve two, you know, the pregnant woman screaming out with uh you know the pangs of childbirth. And it's just whoever was really responsible for that video. I'm not saying the director or even the producer or so on and so forth, but somebody was directing that video to correspond to, you know, not only to this Virgo-Leo 923 alignment, but also to this the overarching agenda of the Nephilim, the fallen angels. You know, and again, which we see, you know, Elizabeth Frazier singing about the uh, the Nephilim or the fallen angels, the pearly dew drops, drops from heaven, pearly gates, so on and so forth heaven or Las Vegas, you know, heaven, archangels, or Las Vegas, the Vegas, and Vega, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but Vega means a uh, falling eagle, uh, the eagle has landed, Chester Bennington dying on the, the anniversary of the eagle landing, the eagle has landed, you know, all that nonsense on with the Apollo program, you know, Apollo is, again, tied back to Vega, Apollo's liar, Orpheus, It just goes on and on and on and on and on, on and on and on and on. I mean, literally to the point of overkill. And these are all connections that I'm documenting from mainstream sources, perfectly mainstream sources, skeptical sources, so on and so forth. I don't need to delve into, you know, some Pleiadian light brotherhood (laughs) source with this. It's all right there out in the open. Everything that has been hidden is becoming manifest. Everything that was once a secret is out in the open. And what we are looking at is a world in which it is run by high technology, but high technology in the service of black magic. I don't know how else to put it. So it's like, I don't know exactly what, you know, what to do about this, but I, I think the first thing in in figuring out what to do about this is, is to realize what we're looking at. And, uh, you know, as extreme as this may sound to a lot of people, it's like, you can only deny all this if you try really hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure this is like, second nature to a lot of listeners you know you take what i'm saying for granted but it's like anybody who's listening to this who's not familiar with this this way of thinking and this way of looking at the world it's like you know that this is going on and you know i'm speaking to you right now it's like you know what's going on you have to deny it you have to project it onto other things you have to project it onto trump well you know which is justified in that regard but it's like you have to sort of Put this out of your mind because you know what's going on. You know what's happening in the world around you. And you know that the world that you thought existed was a lie. So it's like, how do we deal with this? How how do we, how do we function in this world? I don't know. I can't, I can't say, but it's like the first step to figuring that, that out is to understand what the world you're living in is really like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not what they taught you in school. It's not that at all. They taught you that in school to take away your power, to take away your knowledge. So it's like now that you understand what the world is really like, that it's, you know, that this never-ending rituals happening all around you in order to do what has been done, which is break down this barrier between the liminal and the imaginal and, and the real. It's just happening. It's all around us. And we have to start thinking about what we're going to do about it. But you can't. You can't do anything about it if you don't know what the problem is. It's like you can't treat the disease if you don't know the symptoms.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, man. What a great summary. And you've definitely made a synchro mystic out of me in the long term. I hope we're still around on October 1st, 2044 and into 2045 so we can actually like see the end, I guess. And in the short term... Man, I'm going to be watching that Super Bowl halftime show with Justin Timberlake, another name that invokes water. And if there's black suns, pyramids, robots, and mermaids, I'm just going to flip the fuck out. I can tell you right now. Um, (laughs) But Jesus, man, we did it. I think we hit most of the major points, but I'm in total agreement that Elizabeth Frazier is some type of oracle and that there's a cult of culture creators that knows this, if not caused it. And the other major premise that the elite secret religion Symbolism and ritual is getting more and more out in the open when it comes to mermaids, cybernetics, CRISPR and transgenics. It's like we're being onboarded like I've never seen before and that's pretty clear too. So man, again, one of my favorite guests at Symbolism Deconstruction. Thanks for doing this again so soon. I know it's a commitment, but it's really important stuff. The magic is real. It's affecting our lives whether we know it or not. And of course, secretsun.blogspot.com is the hub. I learned something there almost every day. Anything else to add before I cut you loose?
2: No, like again, keep your eye open to what's going to be going on at the Super Bowl, what's going to be going on at the Olympics, because I think there's going to be some messaging there and, and the messaging might entail a warning of some sort. You know, really familiarize yourself with this material. You know, it doesn't have to be Secret Son, it doesn't have to be my material or whatever, but it's like just familiarize with yourself with what's really going on in the world out there and and start to talk about it to people who you think might be receptive. Mm -hmm.
1: Wise words. Right on, man. Well, I will let you go. Thanks again for the extended show. Keep doing what you do, and I'm sure we'll talk again.
2: I hope so. I hope so.
1: Sweet mother of Mithras, people. Chris Knowles back in the saddle, adding to the song of the Siren Saga, folding in the NASA-Vegas connections. Man, and we got a Pandora's box of aggressive synchronicity. And I'll tell you, something is really up with the Tom DeLong saga. I'm really glad Chris pointed out Blink's military-industrial ties. We hear the Dave McGowan stuff, and we think about these 60s rock stars as planted and connected. But a lot of times we don't take that program forward. I think a lot of people isolate that chapter, but it's not like it stopped. I wonder how many punk and emo bands I used to listen to have these same sort of connections. Was Dashboard Confessional cooked up in a deep state basement? Is Taking Back Sunday some Midwest suburban psyop? I'm sure so, so much of it is. If you have control of the gates, why let anyone through that doesn't serve some sort of purpose, knowingly or unknowingly? But I really think this Tom DeLong stuff tanked because they're just so out of touch that they didn't realize how bad a frontman Tom would be for this. He's just not really relevant. And his character for Blink has never really been serious or highly intelligent. So it's just an odd choice. I'm not saying the guy's dumb, but he plays a slacker stoner in the context of the band. And as Chris said, that Rogan interview did not go well. And that podcast makes Joe like a modern day Oprah for a different segment of people. If you get on there and it goes well, And you get Rogan approved, the audience is big enough that it really does change lives. And if you tank, like Tom did, by being overly vague or dodgy or repetitive or seeming too rehearsed, he doesn't like that either, it's not going to be good. And if you are part of an operation, I could see them pulling the plug on you. And the fact that his company, To The Stars, is basically just a crowdsourced media company, a millionaire... Setting up a crowdsourced media company where he gets a salary of a hundred grand a year apparently. Today people can see right through that kind of thing. I'm always annoyed by rich people doing fundraisers. So I honestly think they just sort of sidestepped him and then put out the Pentagon press release and sent out this other figurehead guy who goes and does the media rounds. But it is so wild how these stories all sort of bump up against each other. I know Chris throws out a lot of numbers and dates and connections. And sometimes it's hard to see every thread, or you might think a couple of the threads are a stretch, but it's about the totality of connections. And yeah, some are stronger than others. I think even if you just stick to the strongest links, it is pretty creepy. And I know we covered a ton of ground today. In fact, uh, there were a couple things I think we might have even glossed over or forgot to revisit, but I had mentioned that major criticism about... Elizabeth Fraser's eyes being because of drugs, not because of entities. And, you know, Chris mentioned to me afterwards that he wanted to say that it's not because of the drugs. Because you can actually see them morph in front of you in certain performances. Drugs don't make your eyes normal one minute insane the next and normal the next minute after that. So that's kind of his contention. If you watch a lot of these videos or the key ones that he talks about... You can see her eyes change in them. I don't know. He's shown me some stuff that I definitely think looks as he describes, but it's also not the most compelling part of the whole story to me. It just seems to be the thing that people came back and criticized the most, as if we both didn't know that musicians are pumped full of drugs. Like, that doesn't surprise me. And again, I don't think it's mutually exclusive, possession and drugs. I think they're complementary. But just getting back to the major themes, I really do think it's insane the amount of mermaid stuff that's out there. Chris is right that there's this sort of full court press in mermaid and siren themed aspects of culture. If you don't see it yet, it's one of those things that if you just start watching for it and paying attention, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. And I do think it is something that ties into the transgenics agenda, just like Chris says. It might sound weird... But mermaids are hybrid beings that are feminine and lack genitalia. And that is kind of what defines the archetype for me. And it also makes a demonic evil creature seem cute and princess-like. And I really do hate the way I start to sound like a Puritan Christian conservative when the subject comes up. But this isn't just our imagination. There is a transgender children's charity called Mermaids. And it's a real news story that Prince Harry praised it as an amazing organization. So it's really no question if this is in the cards. It's really no question is this part of an agenda. But this is where I start to sound gross again, you know? I wonder why is there a children's transgender charity? If you're born with both parts or something, I totally understand that can be very hard and makes for a difficult life. And I have a lot of empathy for someone in that sort of position But if we're talking about adults making the decision to change a child's gender before puberty, that's fucked up. That's an operation and that isn't organic and it is out there happening. Let me quote The Secret Son because I think Chris says it in a pretty clear and efficient way when he says, Speaking of manipulative, the catamite grooming sub-program of the transhumanist agenda ran into a few snags. The whole pedo pity angle that Salon and the Guardian beta tested was a bust on account of pedos being gross and creepy. So they sent the intersectionalists on it. Success! Now it's an eight-year-old boy's right to be force-fed estrogen and cross-dressed by her mother. It's their right to be paraded around in front of random strangers at drag balls, and soon it will be their right to spend their time with whomever they choose, no matter their age. What, you think children shouldn't have rights? What are you, some kind of Nazi? And that is the culture right now. It is like, if you want to pump the brakes on any of this aggressive liberalism, then you're like an enemy. You are a Nazi. And they got this punch Nazi meme. So this is really, get with the program, or we're going to incite violence. There is no room for other opinions and I'm not saying the right, isn't just as intolerant of other opinions and isn't just as aggressive in their own way. But when we're talking about the elite's top agenda, this transhumanist thing, this merging with machine, this crossing of genders, this operation seems largely relegated to one side. You can't say, well, what about this, that, and the other? Look, I'm trying to hone in on something here. But, you know, I'm just saying I get really creeped out seeing what looks to me like a bunch of rapid-fire baby steps, no pun intended, towards some really dark places. But to get to something less emotional, less triggering, the little peep thing. I mean, that's strange, right? You've got a singer who's playing off a shepherd archetype whose parents work at an elite university, apparently, and his hometown seal includes a siren and Poseidon, That alone is a serious soup of symbolism using the exact themes that we've been talking about up to this point. Top it off with Elizabeth Frazier actually chanting Pete Bow in the first song on an album released on the kid's goddamn birthday. And it's eerie. What more connections would you want to, to make that relevant? So all that alone is creepy and eerie, but for this to be a concert that I was invited to come backstage and hang out in is just such a weird thing for me. And it might not sound like much, but firstly, it's not exactly obvious that people on tour would invite me to their San Diego shows to come backstage or at least get put on a guest list. My podcast isn't about music, so it's kind of an odd thing, and it's happened like five times in four months. If you're on tour in San Diego, by the way, at this point, yeah, let me know about it. But I was unaware of Little Peep in general, and so when I was invited, I looked up some pictures, and Jesus Christ... I feel so sorry for the guy because it just seems like he was chewed up and spit out of some kind of mind control machine. He's got cryptic tattoos all over his face and clearly a serious drug addiction. So, of course, just because of his look, I mentioned it to Chris and just said, hey, check out this guy. And then just a few weeks later, he dies of this drug overdose on tour. And then Chris goes back and finds all these connections, and I think they're pretty solid. Also, this connection between PEDOC and NASA subcontractors and carrying out this event on NASA's birthday, that's a lot. And get ready, because the next episode of THC is with Gordon White, and man, does he give some added layers to that ritual. And that, combined with what Chris said, really just locked everything in place for me. You are going to love it. I'm psyched for you to hear it. See, Chris and Gordon are two of my favorites, and I wanted to make sure we kicked off the year with some of the best and major guests of THC Past. Crow, of course, has always been a staple. But then Chris and Gordon back-to-back and two more repeat guests that I've always enjoyed coming up. It's a beautiful thing. And then February, at this point, I think is all new guests. So, I have put some thought into the planning of the first two months. But anyway, I just thought this was a great follow-up. From the last show we did with Chris, it pairs really nicely with the next show with Gordon. I know episodes have been slow to release in January, but I was pretty bedriddenly ill and had a ton of tech support emails to work through with the updates and the changes. But we are back to being in full swing. It's going to be a hell of a week and a half for THC with a lot of episodes coming out. And you should sign up for the Higher Side Chats Plus if you haven't already. I keep it cheap, $5 a month for five shows. And today's was actually a bit longer than usual, too. But anyway, in the extra time with Chris, we got into more examples of mermaid mania, details about the darkness surrounding Elizabeth Frazier's upbringing and hometown, the recent siren ritual in Perth. That is a weird one. And a lot of other good stuff. So, you know, consider it. And I'll see you soon with another episode your move vipers of vegas singing trophies of the siren and society's synchro sorcerers your fucking
0: move. i won't take it no i refuse if it's all right i'll keep my refuge i've been scheming a bigger things and have to leave my old life behind got to transfer to the inner earth i built a box built a hole got a neat elevator going under and now you'll find me in the bunker Don't see plunder, 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 plunder. plunder plunder,
2: of plunder plunder. plunder plunder, The best protection of all is the special shelter built according to specifications of your local civil defense organization. The basement of any house or building will become a good improvised shelter if you block the windows with sandbags. If you don't have sandbags, just what can you do?
0: Bunker, take it under. You'll find me in the bunker, 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 take it under. You'll find me. Bunker. Bunker. Take it under. Find me in the bunker. Bunker. Plunder. It's a plunder. Rape, pillage, and plunder. Plunder. It's a plunder. Rape, pillage, and plunder. Plunder.